0: As we gather together now and take our Bibles and open them to be taught and admonished, we continue in our church covenant and looking at some of the different truths presented in our church covenant. And today we come to the topic of holiness. Be ye holy. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, let me tell you a little story of something that happened recently in our home, and I'm going to embellish it. I'm going to exaggerate it a little bit. Picture with me two little boys cleaning up their room. Can you picture that? Now, little boys in their room sometimes have messy rooms, and there are sometimes clothes laying on the floor. And uh, picture with me a little boy waving around a sock while singing, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. The sock had holes in it. Is that holiness? Is that what we seek to purpose to do as a church? For we strive the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort. Wearing holes and stuff. No, it's silly to even think about that. But you know, as I've heard the story recounted, I told you I'm embellishing it, but there's a little bit of truth to it. I I heard that regarding that holy sock, um, the other brother objected to referring to the sock as holy in the sense that it had holes in it and said, oh, no, 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 this sock is holy because it is set apart for you maybe you can kind of tell the pecking order here going on the holy sock is set apart for you that's what makes it holy now we're getting a little bit more in the right direction right well poppy here has another suggestion of how we can continue to talk about this holy sock that is holy and holy set apart for one child there's a time coming when that sock is going to be holy in that it will be set apart in the landfill. Did you follow it? It will get thrown away, set apart in the landfill. You know, some of you guys don't get that. In our house, we always talk about things going to their, their forever home. Let's let this go to its forever home, and that's a special place. Um, it's a mountain. It's an Elkhart. It's a really cool place to visit with your kids <laughs> called the landfill, all joking aside, though, holiness, what is it? It actually is a very serious and somber subject. In fact, it's also a deeply misunderstood topic. It's also a topic that has been twisted to mean something that it's not. And so it is very important for us to understand what is Holiness and how it applies in our own lives—it's very important. Some even in modern world have discarded the words' use entirely and application to Christians and their lives. But we, as a church, have covenanted together, as is in our church's covenant, which you'll find a copy in the back of the hymnal that as we are believers and baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, we covenant one with another to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to strive for the advancement of this church in holiness. Now, if we have covenant together for such a goal and purpose, it's vitally important that we understand what that means and also what it means does not mean. Well, part of the humor of the story I just shared with you is a play on the meaning of the true word holy. The word holy or sanctify literally means to set apart. That's the reason why your Bible, which really isn't an accurate description because I have a house full of Bibles. Every book is a Bible. The word Bible means book but we refer to this as the holy book, the holy Bible, because it is set apart as special because it is different from all the other books, because this book is the Word of God. So to be holy literally means to be set apart. To be set apart. And in the Christian's life, it is very important for us to recognize that we as individuals are holy and are to be holy in anticipation of the day in which we will be completely holy. We're set apart unto God. When we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are put into Christ. We are Set apart to God, for we are in God, and He in us. And Jesus prayed that we would be continually set apart. He said and prayed that to His heavenly Father that we would be sanctified, that is, set apart, made holy by the Word of God, for the Word of God is truth. And as we learned last December, we looked at different aspects of the word sanctification. There's a day coming when in the presence of Jesus Christ at his coming, our holiness will be completed, fully completed in his very presence. And so with that reality of who we are, how do we, what does it mean that we strive for the advancement of this church in holiness? Well, we've established the fact, a whole sermon on it last December, of the fact that we are holy when we are saved, we are put into Christ. And that holiness should change our lives. It should change our church. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1st Peter. 1st Peter gives us an explicit command as Christians, to be holy. And I'd like for us to look a little bit at what is declared here. And then we're going to survey a few other scriptures that speak of us needing to be in the pursuit of holiness. And we'll settle in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, where there's a description given of some promises relating to a holy life which tells us why it is so important. But let's begin with the clear command in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look with me at verse 13. Wherefore, considering the fact that we have a glorious salvation, (laughs) including such that the angels desire to look into it, wherefore, considering this truth, gird up the loins of your mind, think, be sober, that is, have understanding, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have the gospel. You've received it. You have salvation. Look to the revelation of Jesus Christ and the hope that is in him. And in that, think as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, We are now the children of God if we are saved. We are set apart in Him. Thereby, if we are the children of God, we will be obedient children, obeying Him. And we will not be fashioning ourselves according to our former lusts. Those passions and those desires that we had before we were holy, before we were set apart in Christ, they are now former. They are now past we as obedient children do not conform ourselves the same word is used over in romans chapter 12 about being not conformed to this world we do not fashion ourselves according to this world or of our former lusts that is what was before and then we did it in ignorance we didn't know better that's one interesting piece of our covenant is of the advancement of this church in knowledge and also in holiness and in comfort. I think that the, those who wrote this had wisdom in combining those three. They are tied together. These are things that were in our ignorance. But, 1 Peter 1:15, as he, that is God, which hath called you is holy, so be ye Holy in all manner of conversation. And conversation here is not just speaking of the words that we speak, but in the way that we live, in what we talk and do in communication with this world and in all that we do. is it holy? Is it set apart? Is it different? This is important because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We are holy because God, who is holy, lives inside of us. And so in all manner of life, living, do we live set apart to God? Do we live as if God lives in us? And that's going to not be fashioning according to former lusts and passions, because now we will be designing and fashioning and being transformed according to the image of Christ, for He is the one who is in us. That's what it will be. Be holy as I am holy. And look at verse seventeen. And if you call on the Father, there is a new relationship. When you are set apart in Christ, God is now your Father. You're a part of a family, and in that family you're holy. He is without respect of persons, and He judgeth every man according to His work. And so, knowing this reality and truth, that He is righteous, and that He is holy, and He judges men, we pass the time of our sojourning here on this earth, in this life, in fear, a fear of God. He is holy. This is one reason why Holiness is an uncomfortable term for some people because it is tied to a fear of God. We have to be careful in acknowledging that truth while also not towering away from it because the holy relationship is in the fear of God, but it is a precious relationship with God as your Father, the Holy One. Do we pass our sojourning? Are we holy as He is holy? This should change our lives. We have been purchased. Even our bodies have been purchased. In Romans chapter 6, it speaks of yielding our bodies as servants to righteousness unto holiness. When Christ is in us, He will use this body not for wrong, evil things but for those things which are right and holy and good. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 speaks of us, day by day, presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. That is, setting ourselves apart unto God, presenting ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice. And what is it, that sacrifice? Holy holy. This is why we as a church, we strive for the advancement of this church in holiness to encourage one another to day by day, moment by moment in our lives, to be presenting ourselves to our God as a holy sacrifice. And this is reasonable considering who he is and what he's doing for us. Holiness set apart to God. We find out that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. We are set apart in Him and this should make a difference in our lives. Take your Bibles and turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is a wonderful letter and it describes some Things God desires to do in our lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he's desiring to be with them. He had to flee Thessalonica for his life. And he wants to go back. And he's telling them of how much he wants to come back and he's heard so much about their faith and their strength in their faith. Yet he also sees that because of their holiness, they are terribly persecuted. And he wants to encourage them. And if you look at me and look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, you see a prayer that he prays. Look with me at verse 12. He says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. One toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. He wants to see them abound in love. Does that remind you of our church covenant? Just before this, we strive by the aid of the Holy Spirit, we engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, then to strive for the advancement of His church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort. Here, this desire of Paul is in verse 12 to make His church, to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. And Paul says, even as we do toward you, may love abound. To the end, there's a goal. To the end, that he, this is the Lord, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. God has set you apart, and he has the goal that at his coming you will be there with him, unblameable and in holiness before God, fully set apart. So this is what we talked about last December is progressive sanctification. It's an ongoing, we are we striving for this, this advancement within the church. He goes on, though, to speak of what this looks like, because it's not just a positional thing, it makes a difference. For he says in chapter four, verse one furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received from us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. This holy living is something that is, a, is pleasing to God and Paul speaks of how it was taught to them and he's encouraging them that this is something they continue in and they abound more and more. That's what we need to do. Verse two, for ye know what commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. I love that phrase because so often, especially as young people are growing older, we ask this question, what's God's will? You know my first answer when anybody ever asked me that? Obey. Just obey, because many times in the Scriptures, God says explicitly, this is my will for you. And here he's about to state one of those. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification god's will for our lives as a church is our sanctification that is a day-by-day continual setting apart holiness unto god not being fashioned or conformed to this world or our former lusts but rather being set apart unto god he goes on here in first thessalonians and deals with one of the very specific aspects relating to our bodies and one aspect of being sanctified is that you should abstain from fornication abstain from sexual immorality goes on to speak for every one of us know how to profess that every one of us would know how to possess our vessel our body in sanctification and honor do we use this body as it belonging to god being set apart to god and in god that should make a difference. In our lives and how we use it and especially in the context of what is moral and immoral abstain from fornication it's not in the last verse five of the concupiscence that's this passion lusts of lusts of passions even as the gentiles which know not god it's not that and he goes on and teaches these things and i'd love to teach through first thessalonians but we need to keep moving because there's a lot more here and concluding here in verse seven For God hath called us not unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. We should be set apart to God in all of our lives. One particular part is in our bodies, the members of our body. How do we use those in righteousness and in holiness? But let me go high level again for you on the question of holiness what is it how do you live it a lot of things that we do actually can i be blunt everything that we do is a result of what we think and believe what we think and believe that's why in romans 12 it talks about presenting ourselves a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto god and then it speaks of the renewing of our minds How we think and how we live. How we think about our relationship with God and what holiness is will impact how we live it. Being holy, some people have thought, is to create a whole system of rules, laws, guidelines to create holiness. That's not the way it's done. That's not the way it's done. Holiness is a relationship. It is a relationship to God, and that relationship impacts all of our other relationships. Think about marriage. In fact, one of the goals Christ has as the husband of his bride, the church, is to set her apart, to sanctify her in holiness. That's a relationship when you marry you say i forsake all others for you you are set apart from all the others as sacred now some struggle with this idea but it's a mutual you are mine there is a godly jealousy that is there jealousy is different than control and oppression But there is and should be this setting apart and this passion and love for one another. That's a holy relationship. Any marriage that doesn't have holiness is broken. Nowadays, they call them open marriages. It ain't a marriage. The whole point of marriage is that it's holy. You have a relationship in which each other are set apart. You're one and set apart from everything else. So it is true with holiness in general. We all have a relationship with God, and that relationship makes a difference. When you passionately love and set yourself apart to your wife, there are a lot of things you're not going to do. You ever thought about that? There's a lot of things that you're not going to do. Even the world knows this. They understand this concept. You're not going to do things. And when you're set apart to your wife, there are other things you are going to do. do you see the parallel? It's that relationship that will change how we live. Very, very important aspect of what holiness is. Is. The Corinthian church needed to understand this relationship desperately. The truth is is that the, the city of Corinth is very parallel to much of modern America in our society and in our morals. There's there's a lot of similarities between Corinth and modern America relating to morality. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Well, 1 Corinthians is really intense. There were some really, really bad things that had been crept into the Christians' lives at Corinth and into the church, and that the church was allowing and Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and didn't spare the words in rebuking and correcting them very forthright. So strongly that even in 2 Corinthians, he, he kind of wrote and said, I, I, I was concerned that I was too hard on you. But yet he needed to be and he recognizes it. But now he's going to write to them and he's going to plead with them here about the relationship of Holiness. The section we're going to look at is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 through the first verse of chapter 7. Don't let the chapter division confuse you, just so you know, because the first verse of chapter 7 is the climax of the whole section. Don't let that chapter division confuse you. You might actually, if your Bible doesn't already put it together, line it together, make it crystal clear that it ties together. You can't read through chapter 6 and end at verse 18. You've got to read chapter 7, verse 1. Why? Because it says in chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore, again, we ask that question, what's it there for? Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Sound familiar? It's exactly what Peter wrote. Why does it sound familiar? Because Peter and Paul were both inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it, and the theme is true. We are to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is the verse, if I were to pick one verse that I would put here in our covenant to back up scripturally why we declare and we covenant together to engage together by the aid of the Holy Spirit to strive for the advancement of this church in holiness we need to have this desire to be perfecting holiness in the fear of god what's that mean it's a maturing holiness it is a goal of a complete holiness perfecting holiness is this our goal and why would this be our goal that's the reason why we have to look at back to chapter 6 and verse 11 and following because it's tied together We have these promises, dearly beloved. Why would you live holy? Why would you cleanse yourself from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit? And why would you be perfecting holiness in the fear of God? Dearly beloved, it's because we've got some promises. What are those promises? Well, let's go back and let's read the whole passage here to set ourselves in context, and then we'll come back and look at some things. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straitened in us, but ye are straitened in your own bowels. No, for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Did you see the relationship aspect of it? Did you see it? God wants to be your father. You as a Christian are his sons and daughters. You are the sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. And that privileged relationship of being set apart in God's family is holiness. And that should change every aspect of our life, all manner of conversation, our entire life, should be changed. And that's the whole point that he is making here to the church, the bride of Christ at Corinth. And he knows it's going to be hard for them to get. Do you know why? Because we are so used to fashioning our lives according to the course of this world and according to those lusts and passions and desires that we had. But if we're in love with Jesus... Our passions and our desires are going to change. The Old Testament proverb says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The verses that continue on speak of God giving to us the desires of our hearts. Well, if we're in love with this world, or if we are in love with these lusts of the flesh, or the body of the spirit that is wrong, then we're going to be doing those things. But if we are in love with Jesus, remember the marriage relationship, which is what our relationship with Jesus is parallel to? If we're in love with Jesus, we're going to do the things that please him. Our desires are going to be the same desires as his because we are in love there is that relationship it's going to change our lives there are things we won't do and there are things that we will do but it's not about the things that we do it's about how we think and how we desire why do i go back there because what you do is a result of what you think and what you desire And so if there's something wrong in what you are doing, the problem is not, well, it isn't what you're doing, but the the, the solution to the problem is not by just outwardly fixing that, but of going to the heart and fixing the desires and the beliefs, fixing the relationships. Think of a marriage again. When there's a problem in a marriage, is it sufficient for one side or the other to just stop doing the wrong and not have a change in the heart? We see that as an obvious problem, don't we? So it is true in our relationship with Christ. And this is so, so important because we all have desires, affections. There's a little bit of um, interesting language, to say the least, here in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He speaks here of, of them... their their bowels. Did you see that there in in verse 12? What in the world is that? Well, maybe put it in modern colloquial expressions is it's that gut feeling, (laughs) that gut desires. What's your gut telling you? We ask that question, don't we? We're just as weird as these people. See, you guys aren't following me. this is what the bowels are. These are what the people's passions were, what their desires were. And Paul, knowing that this whole relationship with the world, this whole relationship with the world is is a problem for this church at Corinth, he, he, he appeals to them on an emotional level. Oh, ye Corinthians, he says, our mouth is open unto you. That's like saying... I'm just going to say it the way it is. I'm going to be frank with you. I'm going to be candid with you. I'm going to be very direct with you. I'm just going to speak. But at the same time, know for a fact that though I'm going to speak just frankly and bluntly and directly with you, my heart is enlarged. Well, what's that in modern colloquialism? He has a big heart exactly what he's saying he has a big heart he says i'm going to speak to you really bluntly but don't just know my heart is big i have a big heart for you my heart is enlarged he says then you're not straightened in us but you're straightened in your own balls what in the world is that well he's saying to them you have a problem of restraint And it's not because of me. It's because of where your affections are. Your affections, your desires, your passions, may I say, your lusts, are keeping you from what is true. And so he says, I'm going to, what's the reply to this? What's the answer? I'm going to speak directly to you. I'm going to speak to you as my children. This is something that's interesting. Us, us adults, we, 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 we speak sometimes at a higher level, and we use indirectness, and Paul says, no, here, this, this conversation needs to come right down here. I'm going to speak to you as children. There's a debate, and I'm not deciding which side of the debate I fall as to whether or not this is a derogatory statement to them in the sense of saying, you're acting like children, grow up, or if this is, I love you like a little child who needs help in growing up. I can see it either way. I'm going to speak to you as as, as children. You need a big heart too. You've got affections. Your bowels are tied to the former lusts, are tied to this world. You need a big heart. Dearly beloved, that's what he calls them here later, for what I'm about to say to you. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'd like to have you look at this passage very specific in a specific way. Instead of emphasizing the word, the words unbelievers, unrighteousness, darkness. Belial, infidel. I'd like for you to watch and to pay attention to the relationship words. This is about a relationship. See, oftentimes people read these and they jump on the unbelievers, the unrighteousness, the darkness, the Belial, and the infidel. That's not really Paul's point here. His point is about your relationship to those things. The emphasis is, again, relationship. Holiness is about a relationship. That's why he's saying, I love you. I have a big heart for you, and it's because of my big heart for you. I've got to have a frank father-son conversation about your relationships, kids. Do you ever have those in a home? you got to talk about your kids' relationships to people and things. That's what Paul's saying here. we got to talk about these relationships. And he starts with his relationship with one another. So again, what are the relationship words? Verse 14. Unequally yoked together. Fellowship. Communion. Concord, part, agreement. Do you see those relationship words? You're not going to change the fact that there are unbelievers. You're not going to change the fact that there is unrighteousness. You're not going to change the fact that there's darkness. You're not going to change the fact of the belial. You're not going to change the fact that there are infidels. You're not going to change the fact that there are idols. What you can change is your relationship to them. What is your relationship to them? This is what holiness is all about. You and I as Christians, you, the church, we, the church, are set apart in Christ Jesus. That's a relationship we are united with him. And that relationship should change all other relationships. Everything should be changed because of that relationship. And he says, point blank here, clear you on equally unequally yoked. We don't have time today to go into exegeting and discussing each one of these, but here, look at them, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. One practical application of this is very explicitly in relationship of marriage. How can you be yoked together in marriage with an unbeliever? There are other applications that this could come together in what those relationships are. How, what is the yoking together? Fellowship. for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness. You and I we are righteous. What fellowship that relationship of spending time together of doing things with a common goal and purpose. Does righteousness and unrighteousness have that? What communion hath light with darkness. See, some of these relationship terms are overlapping. This is an extension somewhat to the word fellowship. The communion. We have communion. What is that? That is a time in which we gather together in a unity and in a fellowship, different but together still, of remembering, of giving thanks, and of looking to the future, and of sharing together. What concord? Is there a one accordness? Can you have a one accord? That's concord relationship. Does Christ have with Belial? May just as summary, just say demons, devils. And he that believeth with an infidel. What part do you have? Is there a part? What part? What's the connection there? Is there an agreement with the temple of God, with idols? And then he makes this point. You are the temple of God. The Lord Almighty lives inside of you. You are the temple of God. Would you have relationship? What's your relationship with idols? And not just those carved of wood, gold, silver, but the idols of the heart. Is there an agreement there? What's the agreement And here is why holiness is real. And this is what the whole passion and priority of holiness needs to be. And that is these promises. The case has been laid. And now Paul is addressing these promises that are the core of a relationship. What is marriage? Marriage is that covenant. What is a covenant? A very special promise What is this promise? What are these promises that God has made? He says, and these are quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, I will dwell in them. There's a whole sermon there. We're just in summary mode right now. God says, I will dwell in you. The living, almighty God, the Lord almighty living inside. I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. Walking a holy life in all manner of conversation, living. Again, it's that relationship. That's why we walk holy. is because the Lord God Almighty, who is holy, is walking in us. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you belong to God? And is He your God? If He's your God, then you are one of His people. You are set apart to Him. You are His peculiar people. He is, you are the people who are like the apple of His eye. You are the treasured, cherished sons and daughters of God, as we'll see here in a moment. And it's because of this, he says, he interrupts it again and comes back to this whole relationship of holiness, of being set apart. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That relationship with him. Would you go off and have in, in all of the filth and the wickedness and the ungodliness of the world? No, come up out of it. Even when we are Christians and we find ourselves going astray into that, he says there, I'm right, come, come. I'm your God. Come back to me. Imagine the father-son relationship. The child going astray. Remember the prodigal son? Where's the father? Standing there ready, watching for them to come back. It's about coming back. He wants to be that father. He says, I will, verse 18, and will be a father unto you. I'll receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Do we live holy? Do we strive for the advancement of this church in holiness? Why is this so important? Chapter 7, verse 1 having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. What are those promises? Those promises of the covenant relationship we have with the Lord God Almighty. I will dwell in you. I will walk in you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We've received these promises, these promises of a holy relationship. So therefore, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Those sins and things that defile us and make us dirty, let us cleanse ourselves from them perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Here we've seen the promises in that beautiful relationship, but yet let's not forget that he's God. There is a holiness, a sacredness to this relationship that should change the way we live, as Peter said, in all manner of conversation. Our entire lives should be different. It's not about sitting down and creating a list of all of this and that and that and this. It is about getting with your God and knowing Him and knowing His promises, receiving His promises and allowing His passions and His desires to be yours. And then when you're confronted and engaging the former lusts or this world, Your relationship will be a relationship of holiness. There will be a separation from it. Not a despising or a looking down of. It's a different relationship because you have a love for your God. A love for your God. Let us, as a church, engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to strive, for the advancement of this church in holiness. Let's keep working, abiding in and on our relationship with Jesus. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we bow to you and give thanks that you are our Lord God, that we are your people, that you have accepted us in the blood, that you have adopted us. What a privilege we have. We rejoice this morning and praise you for these promises you have made. May those promises always be before us as we walk in this life, as we have exposure to unbelievers, to unrighteousness even to those things of devilish nature. In all things, may we keep our relationship real and living and vital with you so that as we engage and deal with other parts of society and life, we would do so with holiness. May your passions and desires be ours. Teach us How to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. May each of us present ourselves to you a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to you. Renew our mind, we pray. May we continue in your spirit and in your word that our minds might be transformed, our lives transformed. May we be on guard and alert that we be not conformed or fashioned after this world or after the form of passions and lusts and desires of those things that would make us filthy and unclean. But may we, with a passion and love for you, know and experience your life flowing through us. For we are in you, we are hid in you, in your life. You are our life. May we live in that reality and be aware and conscience of the darkness around us, of the unrighteousness around us, of the wickedness and evil around us. And may we have a relationship with you that is built even stronger as we see these threats about us. May your church truly advance in holiness. May we be perfected in holiness. We pray that you would do this, this work in your people. It's in your name we pray. Amen.